Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many of you would like to leave a spiritual legacy for your children? As a matter of fact, let's just by survey, how many of you are here today because of the faith of a mother, father, grandmother, or grandfather? Raise your hand. I, I, I did a, a, shared a message. We had a staff retreat this weekend, this week for, for all of our staff. And one of the surprising statistics that I found was of 80% of the people who regularly attend church came from homes where their parents stayed married. 80% of the people that regularly attend a church came from homes where their parents stayed married. Isn't that astounding? Do you, think, do you think that's an accident? No, because you know what you call two people who sacrifice to stay together and give that to their children? You call that a legacy. That's what you call that. You don't call it perfect. Okay, I'm trying to help you. You don't call it perfect. No, no, you don't. You don't. You, you don't call it perfect. You don't call it, I mean, all, all kinds of different, you know, they have the best or the perfect or the, do, do you know doing what's right is right even if you don't do it the best or the perfect way? I love what Dr. Darius Daniel says. He said, because I'm human, I don't do some things imperfectly. I do everything imperfectly. Look at your wife and say, baby, there it is. Now, now you understand me. But what we have the opportunity to do is to leave something. And what we leave behind us is actually called a legacy. I heard T.D. Jake say recently, it's not what you leave to your children, it's what you leave in your children. Every week I'm reminded of a godly legacy of a parent or a grandparent. Someone who tells me, man, my mother or father, they really, really had strong faith. I saw them walk through difficult moments. I saw them walk through loss. I saw them walk through pain. I saw them walk through hurt, discouragement, disappointment, and maybe even betrayal. Several years ago, when it was just the Broussard campus, I was shaking hands with people as they walked in. And earlier in the week, Pastor Eugene had mentioned that there was a couple he was counseling. And this couple got married very early, had children, and their children were now teenagers. And she was working at, at, at a job at a restaurant, and she began having an affair with her boss. And they came in because he found out about it, and it all exploded. And, and I remember, I said, well, how, how did it go? He said, well, she's committed to work out the relationship. She's breaking off where she was working. All of that is changing. And I said, well, man, that's, that's amazing. So here I am on Sunday morning shaking hands, and here comes the man and his two teenagers behind him. And, and I remember looking at him, and I, I'm kind of looking for, the, for his wife. And so he, he comes by, and I said, uh, hey, how are you? And I could tell from his countenance when he looked up, it wasn't good. I said, well, where's your wife? He said, she, she doesn't want me anymore. She, she's decided she wants him. And I went, well, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he motioned for his children to go on into church. They were probably 13 and 15 or 16. And I pulled him off over to the side. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, 
we prayed. He said, me and my children prayed, and here's what my children prayed. If there really is a God, if you do answer prayer, then make my mama change. Turn her heart back towards our family. And then he looked at me crying and goes, Pastor, what do I do? Well, what do I do? Let me just pause a moment. Have any of you ever been the subject of someone's poor choices? Have any of you suffered ever because someone sacrificed your well-being on the happiness of their own pleasure? And, and I looked and I said, let me ask you a question. I lifted his head up. He's crying. We're in a side room. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think your children are ever going to walk through difficult times? I said, do you think your children are ever going to be hurt because of someone else they love's choices? I said, do you think the unexpected is ever going to happen to your children that hurt them? And I said, then hold your shoulders back and show your children how to trust God and his word and walk through a storm. Look at me. You are living your legacy every day. They are watching you. They are watching you. Someone said children often fail to listen to their parents, but they seldom fail to imitate them. They're watching. They're seeing how you respond. And what you leave them is your legacy. Imagine leaving a legacy of faith that not only went to your children, but to your grandchildren. One that lasted over 5,000 years. Imagine five or six billion people on earth. There's eight billion people on earth claim you as the founder of the faith they believe in. That, that is Abram. The Muslims claim him through Ishmael. The Jews claim him rightly through Isaac and his Christians. We know that through his lineage came Jesus. And the messages that we're going to go through over the next several weeks, we're going to watch him on his journey of faith. We're going to see his failures, his fame of faith, as he teaches us to trust God with our future, our finances, our friends, and even our failures in our family. Abram's encounter with God takes place over 5,000 years ago in a place named Haran. Though he was born in Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq, it's where bathtubs were invented. His father was stirred, as I talked to you about last week, to go to Canaan, which we now know as modern-day Israel. Canaan is modern-day Israel. But he stopped halfway in a place called Haran. We're going to talk about why he stopped in just a moment. Just We highlighted that last week. But let's just begin. If he's called the father of faith, what is faith? How many of you have ever asked, been asked that? Do you have faith? Are they people of faith? Well, what is faith? The apostle Paul writes in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and here's what he said. Now, faith is the assurance of things that you and the conviction of things that you cannot, what? For by it, men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand the worlds were what? By what? By the word of God. By faith, we understand so that we see that which was not made of things, which what? Are, are visible. Well, what is he saying? He's saying there's an invisible world that's eternal. 
He's saying that I understand that we are eternal spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience on earth and that everything we can see is temporary. But there's a world we can't see that is eternal. Hebrews 11.6 tells us why faith is so important. Listen to what it says. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. How many of you want to please God? Without faith, it's impossible. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists, and secondly, that he what? Rewards those. What do you mean believe that? We believe in a God that we cannot see, but we know he's more real than everything that we can see. He's more real than everything that we can see. By, by saying that, what we're actually saying is that the world to come that we can't see is more real than everything that's passing here on earth that we can see. And then God says this. He says, if you trust that I'm there, I'm going to do something. I'm going to reward you. Because you trust me who you can't see, I'm going to reward you with things that you can see. Can see. How many of you have been rewarded by your faith? How many of you have ever been in a situation when all hell was breaking loose and everybody was in absolute terror, but you had a peace that people couldn't describe, that Prozac couldn't give you at its highlight? Do you know what that is? That's the reward of your faith. How many of you have been in a circumstance where something happened? It was a tragedy. Someone was taken. You lost a deal. Something happened that would have been cataclysmic and devastating. And while everybody's going, what are you going to do? You go, God is with me. I'm going to make it. I know it's going to work out. You know what that was? That was your reward for your faith. How many have ever had your children do some things you never thought they would do? Walk through some things you never thought they'd walk through. And even if you were to look at the circumstances, you would think you were a failure. Everything that this word said is true. Everything you prayed for them was wrong. And if you would have judged everything at that moment, if it would have freeze-framed and stopped right there, there's no way you could have ever had peace again. But in spite of all of that, you had a peace. And now you look, and that peace gave you the promise then for what God was going to do that you can see with your own eyes now. You know what that is? That's your reward. That's your reward. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does faith do with God and us in our relationship? Look at Isaiah 41.8. But you, Israel, are my servant. What's that next verse say? Your, I love verses that use my name. Especially this one. You're my, come on now. I need to get that in a tattoo that I don't have. <laughs> You're my first choice, descendants of my who? Do you know what faith does? It makes you a friend of God. You know what you do with your friends? You tell them stuff you don't tell other people. You know what you do with your friends? You show them stuff you don't show other people. And the more you grow in intimacy with the friend, the more you share with them that other people will never know because you're their friend and they're not. So we see today 
that Abraham was a man of faith. And we're going to talk about how that happened. And today's message is five steps to learning to walk by faith. But let's pick up where we left off last week in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Here's the beginning of us hearing Abram for the first time. And Terah, that was Abram's father, took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and his son Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his son, his son Abram's wife. And they went out from Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern day Iran in Iraq to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. And I talked to you last week about the awesome revelation of understanding. He died at the place that was same place of the name of the same place that his son died. He named that Haran. His son that died prematurely was Haran. And I talked about how the enemy's design is to allow pain that comes to us in our life to stop us from ever growing in our faith ever again. I, I told you the story of a, of a lady that, that lost her daughter in a senior prom night. And that for the first year, she took a lawn chair and sat next to her daughter's grave every day, no matter what the climate no matter what the circumstances. That's a picture of what the enemy wants to do. I've been hurt. I won't go any further from here. Somebody did me wrong. This church did this. All men are this way. All women are this way. Don't trust your children. They'll do that. If you go into business with people, this is what will happen. The enemy's design is to keep you halfway because he's 400 miles away from Canaan, the place that he wanted to go. And I want to say this because it's so powerful and it's so true. Is it hard doing what's right? Yeah. Is it hard fighting through marriage stuff? Yes. Baby, did you just yell yes? <laughs> She's been ill this week. She's on medication. <laughs> of course it's been. Of course it's been. Of course it's been. But I want to say this to you. Look at me. Why in the name of heaven would you not defeat the issues that are generationally in your family and leave them for your children to fight because you are unwilling to deal with them? If you struggle with lust, why not defeat that devil now instead of leaving it to your kids? If you struggle with addiction, why not deal with that now so that you don't pass that down to your children? If you struggle with fear and faithlessness, and worry and anxiety. Why not deal with that now instead of leaving that as an inheritance to your children? Remember I told you, your real legacy is not what you leave to your children, what you leave in your children. And for a lot of us, we receive things in us that are not good. Is this okay? Did I get a little too emotional? Did I kind of scare you? Don't worry, more is coming. And Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the story continues. You know, the Bible was not written in chapter and verse. It was later done that way so we could readily know where to turn. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is after his father dies, get out of what? Your country. So where his father went and died that was named after his brother is now the place that Abram, it's his country. 
What was his father's traveling is now his country. From your family and from your father's house to a land that... And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a... And I will bless those who bless you. And who curse you and in you all the families of the entire earth will be blessed you know there was probably just a few million people on earth during that time now there's eight billion and God said through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed so I got a question for you do you want to be blessed okay where the rest of y'all want to be do you want to be blessed? Yes. Come on, heaven's watching right now. God got a pen. He's looking down. Do you want to be blessed? Yes. Okay. Quit lying to God in church. <laughs> Do you want God to make something out of your life? Yes. Look at me. Do you want to be great to the people that matter in your life? Yes. Okay. I, 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 don't, I want to be famous at 220 Twin Lakes. I, I want to be famous where I live. I want to be great where I live. Don't you, mama, daddy, mama, papa? Isn't that where you want to be famous? So that's what God promises, that if he will follow him, this is what he's going to do. But you know, wanting to be blessed and wanting to be great is not new. Does the world want to be blessed? Does the world want to be great? You've got to climb. You've got to keep going while other people are sleeping. You've got to keep working. You've got to listen to me. This is the way life is. It's a ladder, and I don't care who you've got to climb on. You've got to get to the top. And however long it takes you to get to the top, whoever dies at the top wins. Does that sound like your boss and how he got where he is? That is the mantra of the world, except they do that by exalting themselves. God says, I got a way you can do it where I exalt you. You don't have to fight your enemies, I do. You don't have to make yourself into something I will. You don't have to worry about blessing yourself, that's my job. And is there anything uglier than watching people bless themselves? There was a person that tried to do this. I read you five I wills of what God would do to Abraham. Listen to these five I wills. Isaiah 14, 12. How have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Who am I talking about? Satan. Satan. How are you cut down to the ground? You who weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, what? I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the other sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Shiloh, the lowest depths of the pit. He started in heaven. We started on earth. He started in heaven, and he ended up in hell. Someone said pride will even turn an angel into the devil. Don't look at somebody beside you. What, what, what steps did Abram take in living by faith to become the father of faith that the three largest religions in the world look to? 
Let's go through his five steps. Number one, God said to him, get out of your country. In other words, you've been here since your father came here. Your descendants have been here for over 100 years. I know that you're wealthy. I know that you're respected. I know that you're rich. I know that you have comfort and security and success. But this is your country. I want to give you a place that's going to be my country. It's going to be my country. Now look at me. How many of you like being comfortable? How many like having a nice house? How many like having money in the bank? How many like your car payment and bills and all of that paid up in advance? Doesn't that feel good? We like comfort. All of us like comfort. I love comfort. We all love comfort. Some of y'all are going, I don't want to answer a wrong answer in church. Anything could happen. <laughs> Is God against you being comfortable? No. What he's against is you trusting and finding your identity and security in what he gave you instead of the one that gave it to you. I, I've been a Christian 51 years. I've been preaching over 50 years. Look at me. I have grown and continued to grow in my faith, meaning there are things, things feel secure. Okay, good, good. I'm finally making enough money. Hold it, what's wrong with my kids? Hold on, I, I finally got that right. Okay, what's wrong with staff? Okay, that's going good. Oh, she has cancer. There is always going to be an area of your life where you are going to have to be dependent upon God. Blessings oftentimes make us dependent upon ourselves, or what we would call independent. Do you know what dependency creates? Intimacy. Let me explain that. How many of you were experts on marriage before you got married? Oh, yeah, you're too scared to raise your hand. How many of you were experts on marriage before you got married? Raise your hand. Don't lie in church. God will kill you. Oh, I remember. I was an expert. You know, you call your friends going, hey, man, what's up? We're going to play basketball. Man, I can't go play. Well, let me ask my wife. Hey, baby, can I go play basketball? What? Oh, she said, I've been gone a lot, and I've been working a whole lot, and so I can you get off the phone going, let me tell you something. When I get married, ain't no woman going to tell me where I could go. Let me tell you, I'm going to sign a prenuptial agreement, all the basketball I want, all the hunting and fishing I want, be able to do whatever I want. I'm telling me what I can. I'm a full-grown man. You calling me year after marriage. <laughs> hey, man, what's up? Hi, it's all good. I think, honey, am I doing good? Oh, yeah, she said I'm doing good. Hey, man, I was just calling you. I know you're calling to play basketball. Look, dude, I'm in so much trouble right now. I got so many. My honeydew list is so long. I have to stay home a year to finish it. Listen, man, I can't, I can't go nowhere. Hold it. I thought no woman was going to tell you what to do. I know that was before I got married. And they started telling me what to do. You know why men love Alexa and Siri? That's the only two women that listen to them. Jimmy, you know I'm telling the truth. God wants to move us from blessing 
to dependency. And can I tell you this? Look at me. I hate it every time it happens to me. But I love what it produces in me. I hate it every time it happens to me. And it's my kids. I hate it when it's my health. I hate it when it's a financial situation. I hate it when it's somebody that I love. But I love what it produces in me. There is something in the heart of man that, that is, if left unchecked, becomes independent. And you start thinking that he, from he did, to I will. We become the I will. Not him. Here's the second thing he said, and I will show you. If the first one is move out of comfort, this is move out of control. Do we have any control freaks in the room? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you definitely won. <laughs> control freaks, you know, just, okay, what's the plan? Okay, you got to tell me what's going to happen because you know, you know I got to know what's going to happen because you got to tell me what's ever going to happen because if you don't tell me what's going to happen, then you know what happens. I mean, you know what happens if you don't tell me what's happened. What happens is what you happen. That's what happens. And so I want you to like, but what is the plan? Let's write it down. And when's it going to happen? And do you have it scheduled? And that's what's wrong with your family. None of y'all are scheduled. All of y'all are a mess. Don't point at people. You know who I'm talking to. I, I, I've learned something. Control is an illusion. I've been married January 15th. It'll be 42 years to this beautiful princess. In 42 years, do you know how many times I've been successful and controlling her? Let me give you a little symbol. Never. Never. How many of you have children? How you doing controlling those teenagers? Huh? How many of you have business partners and employees and other extended family members? Control is an illusion. I believe that if you're administrative, that's good. Man, that's great. I love administrative people. But look at me. Your administrative gift connected to the hurts and pains of your past will make you a control freak. You can't control who stops at a red light. You can't control who stops at a four-way stop. You can't control what's going to happen in the government. You can't even control what happens to LSU. Paid a man $100 million and we can't even get a defense. I love when I'm preaching good. You see, control is an illusion. And God can't show you what he has for you until you let go of what you already have. He can't show you what he has for you until you let go of what you already have. Remember, Abram was rich. Remember, Abram had a lot. Remember, Abram was a big deal where he was, and God was telling him to release all of that, to go someplace that he would show him and the promises that he gave him. There are three steps I've shared with you, but I want to share them with you again that happen in you growing in your faith journey in your life. They're the same three steps. I've been taking them for 51 years, and I will continue taking them. 
I will continue taking them. When I went home and I told my mom and dad, my mom, my, my second stepmom and my dad that I, I got saved, they kicked me out of the house. Now that's comfort. Like I gave my life to Jesus and what happened? I got kicked out. That's true. Does that even make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. But then I got kicked out and I got moved into my mother's bar. Does that make sense? Like I went from living at a house with my dad and my stepmom to living in a bar serving beer every day when I came home from school. Does that make sense? That was kind of what prepared me to be a Cajun. But guess where I started preaching? Right there. I started putting scriptures on the back of the wall. No drunks will enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd put Bible verses all up on the, literally I did. Do you know what I was doing? I didn't know it. You know what was happening to me? I was building strength through resistance. I was learning God's word. The devil thought he put me in a situation where he could destroy me, but God allowed me to be in there so he could strengthen me. That was my training to be a Cajun pastor. <laughs> Drive through daiquiris. So how does that work? There's three steps. The first one is God speaks. You call that revelation. God speaks. It's called? Revelation. Okay, revelation. I know what God wants me to do. Okay, how many of you know that when you do what God wants you to do, a lot of times it doesn't make sense? Pray for people that hate you. Does that make sense? No. Bless those who curse you. Make sense? Forgive those who hurt you. Make sense? You can tithe and get do more with 90% than you can with 100%. Does that make sense? No. No. But is it all true? Yes. And, and you realize over time how true it is, but, but you don't know when you're just obeying. It's just you're doing what God tells you to do. The second step for many people is called illumination. That means I understand why. The first one is God tells me what to do. The second one is I understand why I'm supposed to do it. Okay, that's called illumination. Revelation, God speaks. Illumination, I understand. Here's the third one, obedience. I do. Now, I'm going to show you just one story in two minutes in the Bible where this story is applied, and it's all throughout the Bible and all throughout your life. How many remember Moses? Okay. Moses is out. Of course, he's in Egypt for 40 years, partying, living a big life. He's the grandson of the wealthiest man in the world. One day he gets mad because he sees his relatives being beaten. He gets angry. He gets in a fight and kills an Egyptian soldier who's beating one of his fellow Jews or Hebrews. And he's afraid and he leaves for 40 years into the wilderness and goes from being a prince in Egypt of the wealthiest man in the world to a shepherd boy in the backside of the wilderness. After 40 years, God has now taken him out of 40 years of Egypt, and now God's taken 40 years of Egypt out of him in the wilderness, and he's got him prepared. So he's out walking, taking the sheep like he did, same back 40, and all of a sudden he sees a 
a bush and it's burning. It's an asbestos bush. <laughs> it's burning and it's not burning up. And so he goes near the bush and the bush says, Do, have you read the Bible? <laughs> have you watched the Prince of Egypt? Okay. The bush says, Moses, Moses. And he comes near the bush and God says, take off your shoes. The place where you are is holy ground. I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to tell Papa to let my two million people, slaves, your two million army, let them free so they can go and serve me. Okay, can you imagine that conversation when he got home? He comes in, baby, how was your, how was today? Whew, it's kind of strange. What happened? Well, I, you know, I was on the back 40 with the sheep, your daddy's sheep, like I always go, and I was there, and all of a sudden I saw a bush on fire. Well, did you run? No. You, usually I would run when I see a fire, but this fire stayed contained, so I just kept looking at it. It was like a bush on fire, but it wasn't on fire. Moses, baby, are you okay? I think you're dehydrated. You might be hallucinating a little bit. No, but, but then it started calling my name. Okay, were you looking at a bush or were you smoking a bush? <laughs> because you just went from looking at a bush to smoking a bush as far as I'm concerned. No, it called my name in, in Hebrew, my native tongue. Okay, let me get this right. You went on the back 40 like you go every day. Yeah, you had the sheep with you like you normally do. Yeah, you saw a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't on fire. Yes, it spoke Hebrew. Yes, it called your name. Yes. Well, what did it say? It told me to go back to my mom and them and to tell my papa to give up two million slaves. No, you were smoking a bush. No, you were definitely smoking a bush. Did any of that make sense? God isn't looking for you to understand. He is looking for you to obey because he's God and you and I aren't. The right order is revelation God speaks, obedience I obey, and later on I understand maybe. Abram had no clue what the blessing that he was about to bring out. Here's the third thing that he said, and I will make you. Say this, I will make you. But you got to leave your comfort and control because that's you making you. That's you making you. Comfort and control is you making you. You want me to make something out of you, then you got to trust me. Romans 8.28 says this, that's why we can all be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God has worked into something good. For God, he was doing something from the very beginning when he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who, do you love him? Then he's shaping your life, this is you, along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands as the first in line of humanity to be restored, and we see the Original intent and shape what? In him. The more I surrender to Christ, it's not me trying to be like Jesus. It's not like somebody on the outside trying to get in. It's me allowing the Christ that lives in me to be free. 
See, see, when you feel bad about something, when you do something stupid, look at me. If you're a born-again child of God, there's not a voice out here like Casper, like an angel here. Don't do that. That's stupid. Yes, do it. Do it. You love it. You love it. No, no. Yes, yes. No, yes. Yeah. Which one do I obey? When you become a born-again child of God, Christ comes to live inside of you through the Holy Spirit. So whenever you do something you shouldn't do from the inside, the Holy Spirit's going, that's not the way you were made to live. That's not letting Christ freely reign inside you. Do you get that? Okay. I will make you. When, pastor, will Jesus stop making me and breaking me and making me when you die? When you die. And then you'll be just like him. Just like him. And then he says this, number four, and I will bless you. I will bless you. How many of you want God to bless you? He can if you give up comfort and control and let him. God is a good father. You know what all good fathers want to do? All good fathers want to teach their children to be able to steward and to lead everything that they've gained in their finances and grown in their lives. They want to train them and entrust it to them. That's what every father wants to do. You know how much God can trust you? If you want to know how much you can be blessed, I'm going to tell you right now, here's three keys to how much you can be blessed. How responsible are you with what God has given you? If you're not responsible with what God has given you now, why would he give you more later? Huh? Somebody came one time and they said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I said, why? They said, Pastor, I used to make $1,000 a week. I mean, that's a good salary. He said, yeah, when I made $1,000 a week, Pastor, giving that $100 of my tithe every, every week, it was so easy. He said, then I started my own business, Pastor. And he said, I'm making $10,000 a week. He said, now, man, when I get ready to write that check, I, my arm just wants to freeze up on me. When I, when I think about $1,000, that's $4,000? Pastor, could you pray for me? And I said, I will. And I put my hands on him and I said, Lord Jesus, bring him back to making $1,000 a week when he could obey you. <laughs> Do you know that you determine how much God can bless you with? If God can get it through you, he will always get it to you. You know who just told me that? Steve Green, the son of the founder of Hobby Lobby, which Hobby Lobby gives half of all their profits. They're opening up their thousand store. Last year, they gave $800 million to the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of them even have an education. Out of all the boys, one of them went to one semester of college. So when a contract comes up, they go, you're educated when you go read it. But they started off, and because they did, God blessed them. They understood what they were, the responsibility. Here's the second way you can know you deal with blessings. I love saying this. Parents, this is, this is an education. This will help you so much. Your children will tell you how much you can bless them. Did you know that? Like, what do you mean, Pastor? Your children will tell you how much you can bless them. How many of you have ever blessed your children and they were unthankful and ungrateful, and you got mad. 
And instead of being happy about what you blessed them with, you were so mad as fire. Okay. Do you know how much? I'm going to tell you. Are you ready, parents? None of the kids I can tell are ready for this, but are you parents? Are you ready? Okay, here it is. Watch this. Your children can be blessed as long as they're grateful. And the moment they stop being grateful is the moment they start resenting you for blessing them. Look right here. Hey, if you're not thankful and grateful for what God has already given you, why in the world would he give you more? I don't care if you have a double white and do song, which is my dream. Apparently, it's what I always talk about. <laughs> Being grateful for what you have is always the key to God's ability to give you more. Why would he give you more and turn you into the brat you're raising? That was okay. It's kind of scary, but it was okay. Here's the third thing. He blesses you, level your responsibility, level your gratitude. The other one is the level of your obedience. Why would God bless you and reward you to do that which is hurting you? Why would he do that? Here's the last one. He will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. You can be a blessing to others. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And you know, that's true. How many of you follow, is it Jimmy Dart? Is that his name? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? What's his name? Jimmy Dart. How many of you follow Jimmy Dart? If you don't, I want you to follow Jimmy Dart. Jimmy Dart's a guy who went to Bible college. And you know what his full-time job is now? He goes around and gives money away to people. He does. He shows up like he'll walk into Walmart and find the poorest looking person you know. And he'll walk up and he'll say this, hey, can I give you $500 for you or can I give you $1,000 to give away to people all over the store? And they all pause. And they go, I, I want to give it away. And they start going around the store handing out $100 bills to people that are needy. And they're so happy. And when they get to the end, Jimmy goes, I'm so glad you did that. Now here's $1,000 for you. Nothing is ever truer. It's better to give. You're more fulfilled in giving to others than in receiving yourself. Jesus wired us that way. He made us to be a blessing. As I close, let me ask you a few questions. Do you think Abraham ever thought that 5,000 years later, his descendants would be living in Israel? Do you think that out of his descendants in obedience, he ever thought that there in Israel, one day would be born the Messiah of the world that was one of his descendants born in Bethlehem named Jesus? Do you think you ever thought that today, one-third of all the billionaires in the world, there is one ethnicity that they have? You know what it is? They're Jewish. That's still his descendants. You know what he said? 
Those who bless you, I will bless. Does anyone know when Israel became a nation? They were not a nation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Their land was taken. And after the Holocaust, after the massacre of millions of Jews, the United Nations got together and gave them back the land, and it went to boat. But their land that God gave Abraham thousands of years before. Does anybody know what year that was? 1948. Do you know who the most powerful nation was on earth in 1948? Let me tell you, Great Britain. They had a term that went like this. The sun never set on the British Empire. They had India, South Africa. They had nations all over the world. The sun never set on the British Empire. You know what it is primarily today? England, Wales, and Scotland, and half of Ireland. Because you know what happened in 1948? The country that stood up for Israel and fought for them to become a nation was the United States of America. And the country that stood against them was Great Britain. And do you know what happened? We became the greatest nation on earth and they began to go into demise because God's word is true and those who bless the descendants of Abraham are still being blessed to this day. Now, can I give you a Cajun version of Abraham as I close in the last two minutes? Okay. It was the early mid-60s. And Brian married his childhood sweetheart. They both went to Cathedral Carmel. They would see each other in mass every day, exchange notes. She would bat eyes at him. He would wink at her. Then they'd go and confess for doing that during mass. Grew up beside each other all through junior high and then high school in love. So when he was 19 and a freshman, at what was SLI back then. She was 18. They got married. She was one of two children, and he was an only child. They bought a house right next door to her mom's and dad's, and they began life. First one child, then two, then three, then four, then five, then six, then seven. A good family. They went to the regular church they grew up in every week, and he, because of his upbringing, went to church every day. But after 25, 30 years of marriage, seven children trying to make ends meet, just the pressures of life, he began to take care of that by, by drinking on the weekends. And then drinking on the weekends went into the days. And then it was every day. And then alcohol began to control his life. His wife told friends and family members, and they said, well, you need to come move with us because alcohol is controlling his life. And, and he lost his wife and his family. Still going every day to church, every day. One day when leaving church, he drove by and he saw a little non-denominational place that opened up in a storefront. And he walked in there and he opened up the door and he said, could somebody help me? They said, well, well sure, what's going on? He said, I go to church every day. I, I, I pray to, to, to get free from alcohol, but, but I can't get free. And they said, well, have you ever been born again? What does that mean? 
And they explained that when you gave your life to Jesus, you no longer have to pay for your sins because he paid for them. That in one moment, the same spirit which raised Christ from the dead comes to live inside of you and sets you free from addictions and habits that control your life. As you surrender to him, and he broke and wept and gave his life to Christ. They prayed for him. He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That afternoon, he called his wife and said, listen, I know, I know we're not together, I know, but could you come to this one place with me? And she came to that same meeting that he went to during the day, and the same thing happened to her. And then they did something unthinkable. They left the church they always went to. All the family thought they were crazy. They'd lost their mind. Can anybody relate yet? And then they began to build their lives on this. Not just this. Because look at me. If you don't build your life on this, you can attend this every day of your whole life. Now let me fast forward our Cajun Abraham story, can I? Because it's 2023, not 1963. I met them in 79. Brian is now in heaven. His wife will soon join him. But that day he changed the legacy of his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. Of his children that were seven, four of them would go into ministry. Of his grandchildren, from his seven children, all of them would serve the Lord. And today, five or six of them are in full-time ministry as pastors, and one of them opened up and introduced me as his dad, and I married his daughter. Who is waiting on you? Who is waiting on your obedience of faith? Because if that family would have divided, I wouldn't have married Miss Michelle. Joseph wouldn't be a pastor. My other three sons wouldn't be pastors. Amberly in ministry. Her rest of the, her siblings, other children that are in ministry and serving the Lord. One, the primary worship leader of the largest church in Houston. All of that came from that one decision to stop and say, I need faith, real faith in my life. Look at me. Is it hard to do what's right? You better believe it is. But is it worth it? It is eternally worth it, both now, here, and in the life to come. Would you bow with me, Father? I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are looking for people who you can come and you can make them and you can bless them. And you can truly reveal a covenant of faith to them and their family just as you did to Abraham. Today, we come and we bring everything before you, our families, our finances, our friendships, the broken areas and the great areas of our life. Father, we bring them all to you because our heart's desire 
our heart's desire today is to leave a legacy of faith, real faith, that one day our children and our grandchildren, even great-grandchildren, today, that legacy continues from Brian Bodwin. It's three generations now, and as John Wesley sat on the front row today, it's four. All because of one act of obedience that made no sense. Today, I pray for every single person here for their next steps of obedience. You know what they are, I don't. But by your Holy Spirit, you're revealing that to them right now, right now. Would you right now just surrender to God whatever it is he's touched on today in this message? Because he's here by the Holy Spirit and he's speaking to every one of us. Lord, we surrender control. We surrender comfort. We surrender doing it on our own, making our own self. We surrender in gratitude. We surrender the areas where we've been irresponsible with the blessings that you've entrusted to us. Make us. Bless us. And make us a blessing to others. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Have you been born again? Maybe you were like my father-in-law, Mr. Brian. You thought getting to church was it. You thought going through a ritual was it. When all he's ever wanted is a relationship to live inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's called being born again. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me today, Pastor? Would you pray for me today to be born again? It only happens once, just like the day you were born. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you're here and you say, Pastor, that's what I want to do, but how do I do it? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And see, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So if that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high. I'm just going to pray for you to be born again. This only happens once, just like the day you were born. One, God brought you here. He brought you here. He may have used someone to bring you, but it's him that has brought you, and it's him that's been speaking to you. Two, everything that's happened in your life, even the last three or four days, have been leading to this moment. And now is your time to be born again, to become spiritually alive, to know God, to truly trust Him and begin your journey of faith. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Lift it high. Lift it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Put your hands down. 
Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 21, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I know that's what I need to be born again today. If that's you, you didn't raise your hand already, wave it at me. Join these 22 or 23, wave it at me. I'm, I'm asking this last time for you. I'm asking this last time for you. Yes, yes, I see it. Yes. All right, church, let's pray out loud with all those that raise their hand to be born again today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, did you enjoy that message this morning? Hey, would you stand up with me on your feet? If you just made that decision to give your life to Jesus, your next step is water baptism. You can fill out one of these cards and leave it on your pew. Well, hey, would you bow your heads and let me pray over you before we leave? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And may all that you set your hand to, may it be for the kingdom, and may he prosper it, and may he bless it. And as your pastor, I bless you in the name of the Father, his son Jesus, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, prayer partners at the front, we'll see you next week.